So just real quickly, I wanted to say last night in here, we had um, 44, 45 couples in here for a swanky dinner, as we talked about. Okay, you see, there's the tablecloth. You see that? And uh, we had a great evening. I want to uh, thank Jonathan for all his work. We had a lot of folks that made desserts for us and served us last night. And a lot of folks that came in here after that and cleaned up and got it all set up um, for worship today. So very, very grateful. And Dr. Leroy Lawson was with us, and he really encouraged us and challenged us in our, our marriages. And so, again, Jonathan, thank you so much for that. And uh, uh, I hope that'll pique your interest. We're going to do it again, right? So we're very, very thankful for that. Um, well, um, we're going to continue our series, One Day or Day One. You decide. If you've been with us, you kind of been following along. If it's your first time, that's okay. We've been kind of talking about things in our life where we say, hey, one day I'm going to do this, and we never get around to starting that day one of that one-day thing. And we have to make that decision to start that day one of whatever it is that we feel God's called us to or God's leading us to uh, in our lives. And we've been going through the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark. You know, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're looking at Mark's gospel of Jesus Christ. And John, I mean, and Mark continues to ask us this question as he gives us these daily pictures of the life of Jesus. Is he the Messiah? Is Jesus really the Son of God, or is he just this good teacher that happened to live in history? And so we've been kind of walking through that. So I wanted to uh, give you kind of a scenario this morning. Could you imagine if your child was, was really, really sick with some kind of a rare disease, and obviously you're very worried and you've taken them to doctors, and maybe you have finally ended up at Children's Health Care of Atlanta, you know, CHO, a great hospital here in Atlanta, and they have run all these tests on your kid, and they find out that your kid has this very, very rare disease, and it could be fatal, and there's only one doctor in the whole world that knows about that and has been acquainted with that, and you've tried to get in contact with this doctor for months, and he finally has says he will fly into Atlanta, and he'll go to Children's Health Care, and he will see your child. Can you imagine the anticipation, the buildup of that? And so finally the day comes and the doctor shows up and he flies in and he's at Cho and you meet him at the door with some of the hospital staff and they're trying to get him and you to the room to see your child. And as you're going to your child's room, all of a sudden there's a mom that pokes her head out of another room that you pass with their child in there. And she says, excuse me, she recognizes this famous doctor, says, could you come and talk to us just for a minute? And inside you're going, no. He's not here for your kid. He's here for my kid. We don't have time for that. But the doctor stops and seems very compassionate towards this other mom and her child. And inside you're going, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? This is not for your child. It's for my child. And the doctor continues to talk and have this consultation. And you're just, you know, you're kind of like, I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to be selfish. But he came for my kid. What are we doing here? And then all of a sudden... There's a rush of staff running down the hall, and they come and tell you, don't bother the doctor anymore. Your child has just died. Can you imagine what you would feel like? Naturally, you would feel resentment towards that doctor, wouldn't you? You would say, what, what were you doing? You weren't here for them. You were here for me. You would feel resentment towards that mother and her kid, even though they had a, a special need as well. You would just feel, what in the world happened here? You were here. But what if the doctor... Instead of getting flustered, just looked at you and kind of maybe grabs your shoulders and says, don't be afraid. 
only believe. And you would probably, to steal a word from Jonathan's sermon last week, what? What am I believing in, doctor? My kid is dead because you delayed. That's at least the way you would feel. But like I said, we're going to continue this this look at the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark. And last week, Jonathan gave us a great challenge in his message um, in the fifth chapter of Mark, and we're going to continue that. But Jesus, last week, as, as we read in Mark, Jesus had cast out this evil spirit, which turned out to be multiple spirits inside of this man who had been, as Jonathan shared with us, a, a problem to be managed in the community. Nobody wanted him around. He had become so violent, no one could chain him anymore. No one could contain him, so he just was out in the, amongst the graveyards, running around and cutting himself. And people were just afraid of him. But when Jesus gets off the boat, he runs to Jesus and he falls at his feet. And the demons speak through him saying, you know, what do you want with us, Jesus, son of the most high God? They recognize him. And Jesus casts these this multiple demons out of this man. And he, he is so appreciative and he is in his right mind. And he wants to follow Jesus because I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus, no, you're not going to follow me. You're going to go back and you're going to tell your family. You're going to tell your community how much mercy God has had on you. But then you remember Jesus cast those demons not just out into uh, oblivion. He cast them into the pigs which rushed down the hill into the lake and drowned. And these were people's pigs who they had for a living. And they're very disturbed by this. And they don't ask to follow Jesus and go with them. What do they ask? Jesus, leave us. Leave our region. We don't want you here. Your radicalness we don't need here. And so last week we were challenged to think about in our lives, Jesus is going to call us to things. He's going to ask us to transform radically. And sometimes we're ready to follow him, but other times we're like, no, no, just leave me. I'm good with where I am in my life right now. So we're going to continue in this fifth chapter, and we're going to look at the rest of it here. And uh, we're going to look at verses 21 through 43. And this situation will be very similar to the one I just described about having your child is sick and you're desperate and this specialist has come to you to help you and we're going to see what happens. So verse 21 starting there in Mark's gospel. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. 
While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished, and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, you may have heard that story or read that story before. I'm always excited if maybe somebody's here today or listening today that has never heard that because this is a, an amazing story. When I was going to camp um, as a kid, going to church camp, and then as I became a counselor at those church camps, uh, a lot of times on one of the nights of camp, we would have Bible dramas, which meant every team at camp had to pick out some kind of scripture or um, you know, narrative from the Bible, and you had to act that out for everybody. And I always picked this one because it had a big crowd in it. And there were a lot of kids go, I'm not saying anything. I don't want to say anything. But they would be part of the crowd, you know. And then there would always be somebody that would be Jesus. And we always liked that line where, how can you ask who touched you in such a vast crowd? You know, you'd have to dramatic effect of all that. So I always remember um, this passage. But we're going to unpack this a little bit. And Mark, again, throughout his whole gospel, is showing us, again, a day in the life of Jesus as he lived. And he's asking us to say, okay, you see what he's done. You see what he's doing. Is he just a teacher? Is he just a good teacher? Is he just a good parable teller? Or is he really who he says he is, the Messiah, the Son of God? And we have this contrast here between two people this day. You have Jairus, who is a community leader. He is a synagogue leader, which means he prepares and plans worship services at the local synagogue in this community. Everybody that comes to worship services, which is most everybody, they know who he is. He's a part of it. He greets them. He tells them goodbye when they leave. He's a part of setting up the rabbis to teach and, and to preach and all these things that go in, all the elements of their worship service. So everyone knows Jairus. And he's well-known, and he's probably wealthy among those in the region. Maybe not extremely wealthy, but uh, more than probably the common people. And he is desperate because his daughter is dying. And I'm sure he's called doctors. I'm sure he's prayed as a, a religious man, as a faithful man. But nothing has happened. And he's heard about this Jesus who can heal. And he heard that he has landed on their shore and he runs out. It seems to be the first in line. And he falls at Jesus' feet and asks him, Please come and put your hands on my daughter and heal her so she'll live. He has nothing else. And this is risky, y'all. This is risky because a lot of the religious leaders that he rubs shoulders with, not only in the community, but also those who travel from Jerusalem, are not happy about this Jesus who is healing people and drawing such a, a crowd right now. And so for him to fall at his feet and say, I need your help, is to say, you're putting your faith in him. What are you doing? But he doesn't care because you know what, y'all? He has nothing else. He has nothing else. His daughter is dying, and he just says, I need you to come and lay hands on her. That's what I need. 
And then on the other side, you have this woman who we don't even know her name. Everybody knows Jairus, but nobody knows this woman's name. Obviously, she had a name. But people that did know her, you know what they knew her as? The woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. They maybe maybe knew her as the unclean woman because according to the law of Moses, and she seemed to be a faithful follower, she could not ever go in these last 12 years to a worship service in the synagogue. Do y'all realize that? Because she was bleeding, and according to the law of Moses, you couldn't go while you were bleeding. So she's been ostracized, and she's probably had to be strategic in everything she does because if she touches anybody, if she encounters anybody, then guess what? Not only is she unclean, but now that she's touched them, what? They're unclean. And she does has to be careful about everything. She probably wears something to hide her face so that people won't recognize her a lot. And people, if they do recognize her and know that she has this deal, they'll probably even say, unclean, unclean, get away. I've told you all you ought to be watching The Chosen, right? They do an amazing part about this woman in her life, about how hard it was for her. So she is on the other end of the spectrum. Jairus, well-known, wealthy, and then this woman who's unknown. And it says that she had basically spent all of her money trying to find cure. She's been to all the doctors. They've tried all the, the different things and medicinal things that they had in that culture, and nothing was worked. Mark tells us that not only did it not work, but what? She had become worse. And so now she's not only alone and an outcast and seemingly nameless, but she has no money. And she, though, is in the same boat as Jairus because she's got nothing but to come to Jesus, and she's heard about him. He can heal people. Maybe he will heal me. Maybe he can stop this. And she doesn't want to go up to Jesus like Jairus. And he's the first one as Jesus gets off the boat to welcome him and say, I need your help. She doesn't want to do that because she knows if I touch Jesus, then he'll be unclean. And maybe even before I get there, if people recognize me, they'll start yelling, unclean, unclean, and I'll never get a chance to even touch him. So she tries to, I can just see her putting that kind of a veil over and trying to blend in with the crowd and and get over so she can just touch him. And Mark tells that she does that. And she finally gets close enough and she touches Jesus' garment. Hopefully just being healed and then she can just sneak out of the way and no one will even know she was ever there. But as soon as she touches Jesus' garment, Mark tells us she feels immediately that this bleeding has stopped. She is healed. She feels this in her body. And she's thinking, it worked. It worked. I'm healed. And she's trying to process that when all of a sudden Jesus stops and the whole crowd that's moving stops. You know, it's like being at Six Flags going into one of the rides and there's all these people crowded around and everybody just stops. And Jesus goes, somebody touch me. And the disciples are like... (laughs) Jesus, this is a crowd. You know, there's a lot of people. You ought to be used to this by now. Everywhere you go, there is one. And they're jostling and they're bumping and they're trying to get a a time with you. And and of course, everybody's touching you. How can you ask, who touched me? But Jesus doesn't let this bother him. No, he's saying, I'm not worried about the people who touched me accidentally with a shoulder or their hip. I'm talking about somebody specifically touched me and I felt that power leave me. Who was it? And now she's trying to process her healing and go, oh no, oh no. Maybe he knows it was me and now I've made him unclean and and he's going to reprimand me and maybe he'll take away the healing. What's going to happen? And and she's just silent for a minute in her fear and everybody's looking around and they're still going, what? How can you possibly know or ask who touched you? And finally, Mark tells us that she comes forward 
And she tells Jesus as she falls at his feet, just like Jairus. And she, trembling with fear, tells him the whole truth. And maybe there's those that hear her telling the truth and they go, yeah, I've seen that woman. Yeah, we know her. We've always ostracized her. Maybe a lot of people in the crowd, as they're listening to her story, go, I had no idea this has been going on for 12 years. All I know is I walk on the other side of the street when I see her. I just want her to stay away from me because she's a problem, as Jonathan said last week, to be managed, and I don't want to deal with her. And now all of a sudden, Jesus, and there's this moment of what is he going to say? And Jesus, y'all, wants her to tell her story. She needs to have her story told to people know this is the suffering she's been going through. And a lot of y'all have ignored her, but I'm acknowledging her today that she has a problem and she came to me. And I'm acknowledging today that because of her faith, she is healed today. It's not some magical power in my clothes. It is her faith in me that she came and touched me because she believed I could heal her. And he wanted the whole crowd to acknowledge she has great faith. And he wanted the whole crowd to know that now she is restored to your community as she always should have been. And this woman, he, he looks at her, Mark tells us, and he says, Not bleeding, woman, your faith has healed you. What does he say? Daughter. You're a daughter of the king. You're a daughter of the most high God. Your faith has healed you. Now go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So now she rejoices not only in her healing, but that the whole community knows her story and that she's been healed by the Son of God and she has peace and she can go now and be a part of this community. Jesus called her daughter. And as great as and inspiring as this story was, Jairus, y'all, probably the whole time is sitting there going, let's go, let's get on the road, what are you doing I'm sorry about your bleeding woman, but my child is dying. You've at least had a lot of your life. She's 12. Could we get it going, Jesus? But you can't say anything because he might get mad and say, well, just forget it then, right? But you know he's inside as any of us as a parent would be going, let's go. And he delays. And then the very thing that Jairus feared happened. They come running from his house and go, hey, she's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Thanks for the good intentions and the willingness, Jesus, but she's dead. There's nothing you can do now. Did he think, he had to have thought, if that woman just had not had stopped him, if Jesus would have said, hey, I'll come back later, but why? Why didn't he go? But Jesus doesn't seem to be phased by this. He's still on track. No, we're still going to your house. I'm still going to lay my hands on your daughter, Jairus. This is not, we're not done here. And he says, don't be afraid, just believe. And again, he's going, believe what? Are you going to come do her funeral? Death is not something new in this region, Jesus. A child's death, maybe, but probably not. But death is part of life. It's final. It happens to everyone at some point. But we know that dead people don't come back to life. At least no one has seen that. It's the end, or is it? But Jesus then starts by saying, the, the crowd's clearing out now. Oh, we saw this miracle of this woman, but the girl's dead now, so there's no need for us to all follow to his house because she's dead. I guess we're not going to see another miracle. We're not going to see part two today. So the crowd kind of drifts off, and he says only for Peter and James and John and Jairus to go with him. Can you imagine Jairus's 
walk to his house. I mean, he's numb. My child is dead. What now? But they arrive at the house, and there's this wailing and crying loudly, as it should be. And then Jesus asks another one of those questions, just like before, when he asked, who touched me in this crowd? They go, why are y'all wailing and crying? Everybody's like, uh, that's what we do when someone dies. You know, people are brokenhearted, Jesus. It's a 12-year-old. It's a death. A child has just died. Of course we're wailing and we're crying because this is awful. We're heartbroken. That's what we do. And we do know from reading history that there were professional mourners that people would hire to come and just really get it going at somebody's house to let everybody know in the community that this, this family has has had a loss. But Jesus is saying, what are y'all doing? And it's not like he doesn't know, but he means she's not dead, y'all. She's asleep. And they all stop. And Mark tells us they laugh. They go from mourning to laughing. We know what dead is, Jesus. That means you're breathing. We see the chest going up, rising and falling. And she's been in bed for weeks, and her chest is not rising and falling anymore. There is no pulse. There is no breath. She's dead. And Jesus asked them all to leave. He clears out the room, the house. Your presence of fear and of doubt and of unbelief, I can't work in. So he just asked them all to leave. And he takes Jairus and the girl's mother and Peter and James and John. And Mark tells us he takes her by the hand. He did exactly what he promised to do, didn't he? He says, I will come to your daughter and I will touch her. And he puts his hand on hers. And he says, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And Mark, as he does so many times in his gospel, he says, immediately, again showing Jesus' power and his authority, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. And it's interesting, she's 12 years old. She's been living as long as this woman has been suffering with bleeding. And at this they were completely astonished. Of course they were. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. What do you know? She was just sleeping, stupid people. No, she really was dead. Jesus is not just saying, you made a mistake. He's going, you were wrong on all accounts because you doubted who I am and what God can do to those who believe. She's alive now. Jesus made that happen. Jairus and his wife had nothing. All they had was to believe in Jesus. When he said... Don't be afraid, only believe they were numb. But they said, we've got nothing else but Jesus. What can he do for us? And he showed them that he had the power over death. And Jesus brought her back. Don't tell anyone. And there's that question again. What? What do you mean don't tell anyone? How can we not tell anyone that our daughter was dead and now she's alive? The mourners are going to find out because they're going to come back and say, was she really asleep or not? No, she was dead. She's alive. Well, what happened? Well, what do you think happened? Everybody's going to connect the dots, Jesus, and know it was you. But Jesus, I think, is knowing that this will only add to his popularity. And people will see him as this religious magician. And everybody wants them to heal their physical problems. When Jesus says, I'm not just here for the physical. I'm here for the spiritual and the emotional. And you want to know me as your Savior and your Lord. Not just some magician who can fix you. And then ride my horse out of town. And Jesus does this very human thing. Give her something to eat. She's alive now. She needs something to eat. As I think about that story, most of you that have heard that before, guess what? You knew what was going to happen before I read it, didn't you? Because we've heard it before. Oh, yeah, Jesus is going to heal the girl. We already know that. And sometimes I'm embarrassed that I've kind of go, 
yeah, Jesus, you know, he's going to heal the girl. Because there's somehow we don't really believe, do we? We're afraid, aren't we? Because when I told that first story, a lot of you were going, oh man, that would be the worst. That would be the worst if it was my kid. That would be the worst. But Jesus came to this earth to say, we're still going to die, but there's something beyond death, and he has the power over that, and it's through his resurrection and his life. And so I think it's important whenever we read these stories in the Bible, always, always to say, who do I identify in this story? Who in this story, what character makes me go, that's me. That's how I'm feeling right now in this time, in this part of my life. I, I identify. Is it Jairus? Maybe you're a, a well-to-do person. You've got a good job, a great family, and maybe things are going great. But there is something in your life that's not going well. And you're helpless to do anything about it. And you know you're helpless to do anything about it. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your business. Whatever it is, you're helpless to do anything about it. But you're, a part of you is afraid to take that to Jesus, to admit that you have a problem, that all you can do is fall at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, help me. But maybe that's who you identify with. Maybe it's a... Uh, something you're desperate about. Maybe it's your son or your daughter or your spouse or, or your career, or whatever it may be. But are you desperate enough to go and fall at Jesus' feet and say, I got nothing but you, Jesus? Or maybe you identify with the bleeding woman. And maybe I don't mean necessarily physical. Maybe that is something you're dealing with. You have a, a physical thing that's been going on for a long time and it's very disturbing and it's very hurtful to you. Or maybe your hemorrhaging or bleeding is not of the physical nature, but it's of the emotional or the spiritual nature. You know what I'm saying? Some of us can have been bleeding for years, and we've tried to hide it like the woman did. We try to cover up and don't let anybody know about this hemorrhaging I'm doing inside. And I don't want to tell anybody because if they find out, they will call me unclean and they will reject me and they won't want me to be a part of the community. So I'm just going to hide my hemorrhaging and kind of be an outcast. Are we willing in total dependent faith to reach out and say, Jesus, I can't carry this bleeding anymore. Will you come and touch me? Are you willing to fall at his feet and tell him the whole truth? And here's the deal, y'all. I can hide the truth from you, can I? I can stand up here on Sunday morning and act like I got it all together, my family and the church. But inside, I can be hemorrhaging, and I can fake it from you. But you know what? I can't fake it from Jesus, can I? And you guys can hide it from each other or from me, but if you're really hurting inside, Jesus already knows, and he's waiting for us to lay at his feet and say, I got nothing but you, Jesus. I need your healing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, many of you know who that was, suffered a lot and ended up dying as a martyr. And he wrote this years ago. He said, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans, sending us people with claims and petitions. And it is a strange fact that Christians and even ministers frequently consider their work so important and urgent that they won't allow anything to disturb them. They think they are doing God a service in this, but actually they are disdaining God's crooked yet straight path. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? And I heard another minister years ago say this. He goes, I used to think that all the interruptions to my ministry as a preacher, I, I thought about all those interruptions. I've got so many interruptions in my life till I realized 
those were my ministry. All those interruptions by people in their life, those are what God has called me to minister to. Jesus has shown his authority and his power as we've read these last two chapters. Y'all realize in chapter 4, Jesus is asleep in the boat. And there's a storm and he's just sleeping through it all. And the disciples are going nuts. And Jesus gets up and says, be still, calm. And he stops the wind and the waves. And they go, who is this man? And then as Jonathan shared with us last week, these, this man who's tormented by demons, Jesus goes and they immediately recognize who he is and they ask him a favor and he casts them out. And now he stopped this woman who has tried every human outlet available to her and nothing has worked and Jesus has healed her. And now they've seen him raise a little girl from the dead. And Mark just says, there he is. Is he just a good teacher? Is he just a good storyteller? Or is he really the Son of God who wants to be your Lord and Savior? So today, as we always do, Jesus invites us, as he did Jairus, as he did this woman, and he looks us in the eyes and he says, Daughter, he says, Son, I know who you are. I know what you're going through, but I need you to need me. And he tells us and he calls us a son or a daughter, and he says, Don't be afraid, only believe. And maybe there's somebody here today that you are afraid, and that's normal. But Jesus is saying, don't let that fear keep you from coming to me and giving me your heart and your life and lay whatever it is before me. So this morning, we want to offer that opportunity. Maybe there's somebody here today that needs to say, Jesus, I've tried all this other stuff. I've tried doctors. I've tried psychologists. I've tried counselors. I've tried money managers, and I'm, I'm hemorrhaging. Can you stop my bleeding? Maybe you need to do that today. So we're going to offer that invitation. If you're looking for a church home, let me tell you, we're full of gyruses and bleeding people because we all got our stuff, don't we? But we come together and together we say, Jesus, we lay it at your feet. That's why we're worshiping today, right? That's why we're getting ready to take communion together because we're acknowledging that Jesus, through his life, through his death, and ultimately through his resurrection, and that little girl's resurrection pointed to his resurrection that ultimately would be for all people. Because you know that little girl died again, right? She didn't stay alive forever. She died again. But she will resurrect like the rest of us because of Jesus' resurrection. And we're going to celebrate that. Um, the, the team here is going to uh, play a song for us. And we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. But if you do have a decision today, I'll be right here to try to walk you through that. But let's stand together. Let's continue to worship our hearts to the God who says, don't be afraid, only believe.